make your mom something really great. So, so uh, ladies, at the end of this service, we're going to have somebody cute standing a lot back there with a basket of chocolate for you so that every, every lady gets uh, chocolate on your way out today just as our, our gift to you. And uh, you don't have to be a mother. It's just you're a woman. Thank you, Aaron. You, you can have a chocolate. We just want to bless you today. <laughs> what was that? What, did I say something funny? I <laughs> said... Oh, I'm going to give you a chocolate. You can have a chocolate, Aaron, if you'd like. I'll give you one. Sure. Yeah, thanks. Just, just for being you. Just for you. So that's, uh, that's that. You know, um, yesterday I had the opportunity to um, go down to Delaware to see my mom because um, we weren't not able to be with her today. So I went down Friday night and spent yesterday, had some, had some time with mom, and it was nice. And... Uh, my wife, uh, my sweet bride, Karis, is in Chicago this weekend. Um, this, is the, this weekend is the 10th anniversary of her mother's passing. And so she's with her sisters, and uh, they're going to be visiting her mom's graveside and that sort of thing. And it just makes me think that, um, you know, on Mother's Day, I know that it's a mixed bag of emotions for a lot of folks. Uh, it's, yeah, we celebrate like I'm so happy, like for Joy Press, it's her first mom's day. You know, it's so fun to be with the Joy and, you know, celebrating that and, and uh, it's exciting. And then with that, then I know that there are a number of others that have, you know, like my wife, her mother's passed away and she mourns that loss. And then there are others that have moms that maybe you don't have the best relationship with that mom. Your, uh, your relationship with your mom is estranged. And so then today brings another level of pain. And um, then there's maybe women here who you want to have a child and you're unable to have a child. And, and so then today brings another level of pain to you. And uh, I know that some women don't even come to church on Mother's Day because it's a painful kind of day for them. And and so it's just an, it's, it's an interesting day. I don't, don't know how else to say that. It's just an interesting day. And we honor our moms. We celebrate. And we, I guess it's a great opportunity to do what the Bible says. We, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we mourn with those who mourn. And something about my, our God, he just has this unique ability to put joy and sorrow in the same sentence together. And somehow they make sense there. That's something only God can do. So this morning, we're actually not going to talk about Mother's Day. I don't have a Mother's Day sermon per se. I just want to honor you moms. Today's your day, but uh, you don't get a sermon per se today. We want to instead look at Romans chapter 8. And we've been in this series of study. If you're a guest with us today, our church has been studying this whole book in the Bible, the book of Romans. And we're up to the end of Romans chapter 8 today. And uh, we've been, in, the, in Romans chapter 7 and 8, we've been talking specifically about breaking free from sin, breaking free from things that just, maybe it's a, even a bad habit, you know, something that you just, be, it just, dogs you. 
And a lot of us find ourselves at times in this really defeating kind of cycle where I sin, I do something wrong, then I feel bad about it, and so then I repent from it, promise I'm never going to do it again, I'm going to change this time, and then I repeat it. And we've just been calling that the sin, regret, repent, repeat cycle, and it's something that's true for all of us. We, all, we have all been there. And I believe that there's principles in Romans chapter 7 and 8 that really help us to find some victory from that and break out of that cycle. And today, we are really capping it off with this study in the end of Romans chapter 8. Because one of the devil's biggest lies to you and to me is that God leaves you alone when you're struggling with sin. The devil wants you to think that you're a bad person because you're struggling. And therefore, God's not with you. So you're on your own with this one. But if the devil, he does that because he knows that if he can isolate you, he can eliminate you. If he can get you thinking that it's just you versus him, if it's mano y mano, you going toe to toe with the devil in this battle, he knows if he gets you there, he's defeated you. But what if the opposite is true? What if instead of leaving you alone in your fight with sin, what if God actually fights with you in that battle? What if the temptation to sin is kind of like one of those WWE wrestling matches where it's only it's not one-on-one, -on -one, it's like a tag team wrestling match. And you're in the middle of the ring and you're getting beat up really good and God's on the, on the ropes and he's yelling in, tap out, tap out, because as soon as you tap out, he can jump in and defeat the enemy on your behalf. What if that's what the temptation to sin really is? What if somehow God actually, somehow he's using this your struggle against sin as a means to defeat the enemy. But you're not the one defeating the enemy. God is. I take this from Exodus chapter 14. If you look at Exodus chapter 14, it's exactly what God did with the Israelites. You know the story that Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, the Exodus, and, and then they get out of Egypt and they find themselves trapped between the Red Sea and then they look behind them, and there's the Egyptian army coming at them. And, and if you're familiar with the story, it's in Exodus 14. The Israelites freak out over this scenario. And I think I would freak out too. I can't blame them. So they, they immediately start to cry foul. We're all going to die. You brought us out here. We're going to die because we're trapped. The Egyptians are going to get us. But Romans, not Romans, Exodus 14 tells us that it was part of God's plan to actually get the Israelites in that spot in order to draw the Egyptians into battle in order to defeat the Egyptians. So there's two things going on. The Israelites, from their level, on the, on the street level, the, the Israelites are, are thinking God's left them, are thinking, oh, we are dead meat. But from God's perspective, not at all. God has actually put them in that situation 
in order to draw out the enemy, to defeat the enemy? What if God is actually at work in your life to do the exact same thing? Not for your defeat, but for your enemy's defeat. My point is this. We don't typically think of enjoying God's presence in the middle of our fight with sin. We think about enjoying God's presence when we're at church or we're at some cool Hillsong worship concert or we're out in the woods alone walking with God, you know, having a nice uh, meaningful moment out in nature. That's when we think about enjoying the presence of God. But enjoy the presence of God when I'm being tempted to look at porn? That's possible. Enjoying the presence of God when I'm tempted to get a hookup, when I'm, when I'm tempted to be angry and moody and morose all day long and bite everybody's heads off, like it's possible to experience the presence of God in the middle of that kind of temptation, I would propose to you, I'm going to go out on a limb here and actually suggest that that's precisely when you need the presence of God, that sitting here right now Yes, we lo I love the presence of God in church, but let's face it, you really need it when the rubber's hitting the road. And yet, that's when the enemy wants you to think you don't have it. <laughs> uh, what if, see, God is not just on your side, he's at your side. And he's fighting in this fight with you. And that's what Romans 8 ends with. Romans 8, I'm just going to start with verse 30, and we're going to read from verse 30 to verse 39 to the end of the chapter. And verse 30 starts with this. It's actually where we ended last week, and then we'll pick it up this week with it. It says, those he predestined, so God predestined, those God predestined, God also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then, what do we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge? against those whom God has chosen. It's God who justifies. Who, then, is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Like it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither the present nor the future, 
uh, um, neither angels nor angels, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. Verse 30 Verse 31 says, says, so in light of these things, what are these things? Well, these things are the four things that we talked about in verse 30. The predestined, called, justified, glorified. Do you see that in verse 30? So those are the these things that verse 31 is talking about. So what are these things? Let me just review them real quick. Four things that God did for you. God did this for you. The first one is he predestined you. That tells us this, that God's been thinking about you for a really long time. It means that your life has a purpose. There's a plan. There's a destiny. You're heading somewhere. You're not just a blob who spontaneously showed up in the middle of the universe someday, way long time ago. No. You were an idea that the God of the universe had. You were a dream on his heart. And the Bible tells us that before God created the world, before he laid the foundations of the created order, so think about it, before any planets, before any stars, before any galaxies, before the earth, before any of it, if you can imagine a time before time, a t when there was none of this, if you can imagine none of this, all there is is God. That's it. Because he's the only one who always was. Somewhere before all of this, God thought about you. He dreamed about you. He says, you know, I want to create you so that, so that we can have a relationship forever. He predestined you. And then, and then God goes this. He goes, hey, you know what I'm going to do, Gabriel? I'm going to make a planet for these people. I think that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. He throws some rocks together. <laughs> Let there be rocks. That's how God does it. Throw some water together. Let there be water. There it is. Light, light, stars, stars, planets. Throws it all in place. And then he puts you there. And God starts working. Adam and Eve, Jacob, Esau, Moses, Abraham, you name them, King David, all the greats, Esther, Ruth, Peter, John, James, all the, all the greats from the Bible. God's working with them. 2,000 years, 4,000 years, who knows how long. A long time passes, and finally you're here. The Bible says on the day, you were, the Bible says that God knit you together in your mother's womb. Come on, shout out for moms. It's Mother's Day. Knit you together in your mother's womb, stitch by stitch by stitch. And you know what? You can sense the excitement in God's voice. He's like, oh, this is going to be a good one. I'm cooking up a good one, Gabriel. You're gonna, this is going to be good. And he's stitching you. He's putting you together piece by piece by piece. And he goes, I've been thinking about this for a long time now. I mean, he has been. Since before the creation of the world. And now I'm putting it together. You. 
That's stunning if you think about that because what that really implies is this, that God loved you before there was a you to love. It's amazing. That means you didn't earn his love because he loved you before you did anything, before you were even around, he loved you. And then, and then you're conceived and then you're, you're, you're growing in your mother's womb and, and the next thing happens. Those he predestined, he calls. God begins calling you from before. You're still in utero. You, you weren't even born yet. You're still in utero. God's calling you. God puts you in a creation. He puts you in a world where his thumbprint is everywhere. His fingerprints are all over creation. He puts you in it. He's calling you so that you see him. There he is. There he is. All around you, he's at work. And he's calling you, calling you, calling you. He sets you up with circumstances and puts people in your life and things like that. You hear messages. You hear songs. I mean, you, you know, he's calling you. You have dreams. He, I mean, he speaks so many different ways to you because he loves you. Remember, nobody was more excited on the day you were born than God was because nobody waited longer for you to be born than God waited. He's waited for you since before time began, and here you are. He's so stoked about what's going on in your life. It's not even funny. It's crazy how much he loves you. And he's calling you. But listen, here's where the rub happens. You need to answer the call. You need to say yes. You, this, there's a lie. There's a big lie in our world right now. Especially, I don't know about other nations, but it's certainly in Western culture. A big lie in Western culture that says everybody's a child of God. And you're just basically automatically in because God loves everybody, so therefore everybody's in. And that's just not true. It's true that God loves everybody, yes. It's true that Jesus died for everybody, yes. But remember, he died for you. You need to respond to God's gift. You need to receive his gift of relationship. So the moment you say yes to God, and that's as simple as it is, yes, God answer the call. Yes. And then the third thing kicks in. He justifies you. We learned about that from Romans chapter 5. Justifies you. He takes all that was wrong in your life before and he makes it right. It's like you had this big debt and he paid it and made, it, made the balance back to zero again. So now, in effect, you get a redo. You get a fresh start, a new chance. It's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. New start justifies you. And then the fourth thing, he glorifies you. That's the fourth thing there, which means this. If justification is he zeroes out the balance, glorification is he put money in the bank account. So you got some spending money for the trip. First, First Peter says that he's given you everything you need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. He's given it all. He's put it in your bank account. God is committed to seeing you all the way through to the end. He's committed to that. That's what that means. He glorifies you. God says, oh, we're going to finish this. And we learned that last Sunday, that what's God's design for your life and mine? It's to make you just like Jesus. And God's so committed to that in you and me. And you say, what if I don't want to be like Jesus? And I say to you, that's because you don't know Jesus. 
the moment you know Jesus, the moment you get a little glimpse of how awesome he is, you'll sell everything to become like Jesus. Because there's nobody more awesome, ever. I mean, so signing up for that is the best thing to sign up for. Anyway, so given these things, that brings us to verse 31. Given these things, what things? Those things. Look at the question. If God's for us, who can be against us? You get that? If God's been working on you since before the creation of the world, I'm pretty sure one bad day isn't going to ruin his plan. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm pretty sure a bad decade isn't going to ruin his plan. Because you think about it, a decade's pretty small in light of eternity. God's been working on this for a really long time. Are you glad for that? I am. If God's for you, who can be against you? Now, he who did not spare his own son. That's the next verse. Verse 33. Or verse 32. In addition to all these things, God gave you Jesus. God literally gave you everything he had. Think about it. It took Everything that God had to fix all that was wrong with you and me. That's how bad we were. Took everything God had to fix all that was wrong with us. God only has one son, and he gave him up. He doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't have another plan. So if this thing with you and me doesn't work out, God's got nothing. God has literally gone all in. He's picked every, if you're going to use that gambling, he's put all of his chips right in there, all in. Now, given all that God has invested in you and me, do you think he plans on quitting? I don't think so. That's supposed to be encouraging for you and me. God's not planning on quitting. He's in this for the long haul. Verse 33 says, well, then who's going to bring a charge against you? Who could do it? The answer is obviously nobody can because God's the one who justified you. It, it works like this. Like you can rest assured that there's no higher judge above God who's going to overturn his ruling. Sometimes in our human courts it works that way. You get a lower judge in a lower court. He makes a decision, but then another judge in a higher court overturns that judge's decision and but when it comes to this, you don't have to worry about that because the highest judge of all, the final authority has made the final ruling. And so who can bring a charge against you? Answer? Nobody. How about the next one? He goes, well, then who's going to condemn you? Obviously. Come on. There you go. Not trick questions. Jesus, not only that, but if you are condemned, I like this. Because verse 34, 30, 34 rather, continues it. If you are condemned, Jesus is standing there interceding for you. I mean, so it's sort of like this, okay, who can condemn you? Nobody. It's not going to happen. But let's say if it did. Even if it did, Jesus is interceding for you. So it's really doubling down on the promise. There ain't nothing coming against you, my friends. Nothing. Verse 35, and who separates you? Answer, nobody. Look at, stop right there for a second, though. Do you notice something about the wording there? 
Do you notice that it's a who and not a what? Who condemns you? Who brings a charge against you? Who can separate you? Notice that? I know that sounds very Dr. Seuss-like. It's a, it's a who and not a what. It's a what and not a who. And I need to find a word to rhyme with it somehow. How about you? It's a who. Something like that. The question is, look at what that does is this. It identifies our enemy. My enemy is not a what. My enemy is a who. It's not that I'm going through something. I'm actually coming against someone. That's big. It's important. Because whatever the struggle is, there's one behind it. That helps me to define the enemy. And sometimes that enemy makes it really bad. Look at the list. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Those are not fun things. Verse 36 gets even worse. Verse 36 is actually a quote from the Old Testament. And, and it's trans when you translate it into English, it makes it kind of awkward. But really what he's doing, he's continuing the thought and he's increasing it. So trouble, hardship, nakedness, danger, sword. And then he says, even if it gets this bad, you're facing death all day long. You're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. That's a bad day. Let's face it. Anybody ever had a day like that when you're like a sheep to be slaughtered? I thank the Lord I've not been there yet. But if I was there, Jesus is with me. That's the point. Even if it gets that bad, he's with you. See, I think about our Christian brothers and sisters on Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka who were slaughtered by Muslims as they worshiped Jesus just a couple of weeks ago. You know, was Jesus with them in that horror? Yes. So the devil would want you to think that somehow Jesus looked past it or he was sleeping at the wheel or busy that moment or there was some kind of hiccup, a, a, a celestial hiccup and all these people died. And that's not true. Jesus was with them even in that horror. And Jesus is with you on your most horrible day, whatever that is. Jesus is never leaving us alone. That's why I like how verse 37 starts. So can any of these things separate us? Verse 37 begins with, no, no absolutely. That's an emphatic no. He's like, no way. Nothing can separate us. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. I love that because even if I die in this battle, I still win. Catch this. You're going to either win or you're going to die, but you are not going to lose. That's something to sink your teeth into. That's what he's saying. Slaughtered like sheep, but he's still with you. You're going to win or you're going to die, but you're not going to lose. That's settled. And then verse 38 and 39, he says, for I am convinced and, and I think the Apostle Paul was convinced as he's writing this. Remember, this is Paul. This is the guy that had been beat, shipwrecked, imprisoned, 
left for dead a couple of times. I mean, this guy knew what it was like to go through sword, famine, persecution, all that stuff. And so when he says, when Paul says, I'm telling you, Jesus is with you in that, that's saying something. He's speaking from personal experience. Have you ever known somebody? That's the beauty of testimonies. That's what I love hearing about people's stories. Because when I hear God's faithfulness to you, God sticking with you in your tough time, that encourages me to know that God sticks with me in my tough time. Oh, thank the Lord for the testimony of the Apostle Paul who really had it bad. And he says, I'm convinced nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus because I've experienced it. I've been there. I've been at the front gate of hell, and I've experienced the presence of Jesus in the middle of that. Ah. You know, here's what I'm personally learning, and that's this, that, that my struggle is really not my struggle against sin, and it's not a struggle against the devil. That as long as I think of it as a fight against sin or a fight against the devil, I'm actually going to lose that battle. But really what the fight is, the fight is for me to maintain the presence of God in the middle of that difficult time. The fight is for me to be, to be aware of God's presence with me when that heat is on. And that if I can be aware of God's presence with me in the middle of that heat, that that actually gives me strength to overcome that temptation. That, that the goal, the devil's goal in that sin, the devil's goal in that temptation is, is to actually draw you away from intimacy with God. That's his goal. Because remember, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, the devil's not getting you to go to hell. He's not trying to trip you up to lose your salvation. He's trying to trip you up to lose the intimacy, the connection that you enjoy with God. And so if I can maintain, if I can stay aware and sometimes I, and I can see it in my mind. I, I have seen it, actually. I see the way that my, um, that my father's eyes sparkle when he looks at me. And I know the pride that he has in me and what he's doing in me. And when I can see that, I don't want anything else. And that temptation just falls away it goes away but as long as i'm but as long as i'm like you know rebuking the devil and all that stuff and i'm not i'm not saying that's i'm not saying don't do that i'm just saying it's deeper than that 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 it's as long as i'm trying to do that then i'm kind of losing the battle and i'm constantly i'm kind of fighting on the wrong turf but if instead I see this temptation as an opportunity to say, okay, Father, I need you. Oh, I'm coming back. Like, like when we were kids playing tag in the schoolyard, and, and you're running around, and the person who's it is coming after you, and you go to home, you go to home base. I'm on base. Can't get me. I'm, I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm on base. And, and, the, and you know, Sometimes part of the strategy is if, if you're tired of the game, you just stay on base the whole time and the person who's it gives up and you move on to something else. That's kind of how kids do it. You know, the devil, this is, 
my father's pant leg is home base. And man, I want to hang on to his pant leg, especially when the devil's coming at me with temptation to sin. And I propose to you that that's actually when you and I approach our struggle with sin that way, that that's the key to actually defeating it in your life once and for all. Because the devil's goal is to pull you away from intimacy with God. And so if every time he tempts you, it just drives you to God's pant leg, after a while he gives up. You know, some days our struggle with sin is intense, and some days it's not. Have you noticed that? Some days it's super intense. And I think maybe part of the reason why it's intense, I, I heard this many years ago, and it's held true, that there's five times in our lives when, when we're most susceptible to temptation. And I remember it with a little acronym, H-A-L-T-B, HALT B. And these five times are this, when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or bored. Those five things, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or bored, when I'm I can almost find every time I'm in the middle of an intense, when the temptation's super intense and I'm struggling with it, I can almost guarantee you one or several of those are at play. And, and it helps to understand, oh, maybe I ought to just go get a hamburger or something. That might help. Or maybe I need, to, maybe I need the, you know, the, the company of, of a good, encouraging friend at this moment. There's something about that. I was thinking about how lonely we are lately. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, you know, we think that because I have a thousand friends on my phone in my pocket that I have friends. <laughs> no. I'd rather have one good one in the flesh, in person, than a thousand who click like and tell me happy birthday because they got prompted to. Yeah. It's crazy, and we, think, and we think that's real life. It's so fake. Anyway, okay. That's not in my notes right here, state of the notes. Some days our struggle is intense. Some days it is. And I know I've been picking on some obvious ones lately, like, like porn and alcohol and stuff like that. But, you know, I think it's important. Can, can we just talk about some of the white-collar sins? And, and I'm only doing it. I'm doing it on purpose. Some of these white-collar sins, you know the ones that we struggle with, the, like the days when you're moody and dark, or those days when uh, you're grouchy and edgy and biting everybody's heads off, those days, or uh, how you buy things because it feels good, but then you're going into debt in order to buy them, or, or you're f you struggle with forgiving somebody who hurt you, and you know you're supposed to forgive them, but you don't want to. Or, or the hours and hours of video gaming and TV watching that you do. I'm pretty sure God did not dream of you from before the foundation of the world spending half your life in front of a screen. I'm pretty sure he didn't predestine you for that. Social media addiction, spending hours on that. Negative self-talk, I've shared that's kind of one of my favorites for me. Being judgmental, maybe my statement about Watching TV was judgmental. <laughs> Gossip. 
but I'm preaching right now, so it's okay. <laughs> so God said, oh, sorry, Lord. Okay. Or laziness or procrastination. Have I stepped on everybody's toes now? My question to you is this. Is it possible, is it possible for you to enjoy the presence of God when you're struggling with these sins? And right now, some of you are questioning my list of sins. You're saying, hey, I'm just a moody person. You're saying being moody is a sin? Well, I'm just going to ask you to run it through Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Whatsoever things are admirable, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, whatsoever things are uplifting, those are the things you're supposed to think about. Can I ask you, is being moody all day long and biting everybody's heads off all day long, is that of good report, admirable, pleasing? I'm pretty sure that if I ask your family, they're not having a good day when you're edgy. So that would be a sin. It's got to go. The first step to you overcoming sin is to call it a sin. First step. Step one. Acknowledge that it's a sin. Because God doesn't forgive your excuses. He forgives your sins. God doesn't give you grace to overcome your excuses. He gives you grace to deal with sin. That's what he gives you grace for. So let's start calling it what it is. God, forgive me for this sin of making my household hell because I've been groucho for the whole weekend. God, forgive me. And when I'm in the middle of that, can I experience the presence of God? That's the question. And my question to you is this, second question, if I can experience the presence of God when I'm being tempted to be a groucho, will that change the outcome? I say to you, Yes. <laughs> it will change the outcome. But I die. So listen, this side of heaven, friend, is where we learn stuff like this. That's kind of the point of this. This side of heaven is where we learn it. We don't learn it when we get there. We learn it here. This is where I learn how to persevere. I don't learn how to persevere in heaven. Perseverance is about, is about being faithful in tough times. You know, you don't, you know, what is there to persevere in heaven? All those angels singing all the time, dancing on clouds. What a rough day that is. We're not, you're not persevering heaven. You're persevering here. This is where I learn how to love God in the middle of that. This is where I learn how to enjoy God's presence and be faithful to him when it's hard. This is where I learn how to overcome these struggles. This is where I learn how to love God in the middle of grief. We don't grieve in heaven, we grieve here. This is where I learn how to love God in my tears and where I learn how to enjoy the love of God in my tears because there's no tears in heaven, but I swim in tears here. This is where we learn these things. This is where I learn how to enjoy God's presence as I struggle with temptation and sin. This is where we learn it. Now, lest you think that somehow God makes us sin, no. Let me just do this. Does God make us sin? No. Does God tempt us to sin? Absolutely not. Does God approve of our sin? Never. But since you and I brought sin into this world and brought the world down with it, God's going to make use of it. But please don't make the mistake of thinking 
that somehow your sin is not a problem because it's a very big problem. Don't think that somehow you can do whatever you want and God will forgive you. That's not what Romans 8 is saying. Although people have misinterpreted it that way. It's like it's a free pass to do whatever I want because nothing can separate me from God's love, so game on. That's not what we're talking about here. Nothing can separate you from God's love, it says, but that doesn't mean that nothing can separate you from God. How about we put it this way? In Christ, your union with God is solid, but your communion with God gets affected when you sin. And why would we want to? We've been saying that all along in this series. We've got to change the way we see sin. Sin is not that fun thing I'm not allowed to do anymore. Sin is a threat to my very existence, and I want it gone. And I'm partnering with the God of the universe to defeat this thing. You know, part of the reason why I went to Delaware to see my mom yesterday was for, you know, for Mother's Day, of course. But last week, uh, my uncle Chuck passed away. Suddenly, we weren't expecting it. Very surprised. And so that makes my mom the only living person in her family. And which is, a, I'm, if any of you are in that spot, you know that's a, it's a kind of a weird place to be in. And uh, so this was her last remaining relative who passed away. And we're talking about my Uncle Chuck. And, and many years ago, when he was a younger man, he actually gave his heart to Jesus. And, and he, my mom, I didn't know him at this point, so I'm getting this through my mother. My mother said that uh, he was actually interested in ministry and preparing for the ministry. And there was a point, my mom remembers it, when uh, my Uncle Chuck, and it had to do with a young lady that he was interested in. And my Uncle Chuck actually made the decision her over God and um, and you know he was miserable always uh, you know and I'm not meeting him any disrespect because he's gone now and I'm certainly not wanting to do that um, but you know you say it's it's always good to take good notes because if I can avoid your problems that's that's great I'll take notes I don't need to repeat your sins I make my own mistakes Amen? So I want to take good notes, and I'm saying I've taken good notes on my Uncle Chuck's life. The guy was miserable. After two failed marriages, kids that don't get along with him, dying alone in a trailer in Florida. You, you see what I mean? Like sin. The, you understand the world is lying to you. Do you get that? You're being lied to. You, you, you're being duped. You get that, right? Like, it is not fun. Sin is not fun. It ruins you. It destroys you. It destroys your marriage, your family, your friendships. It destroys your health. It destroys everything in your life. You understand? There's not an aspect of your life that does not get destroyed as a result of sin. You get that? This thing is serious. 
And so you don't want to take Romans 8 as an excuse or as a license, actually, to just do whatever you want to do because nothing's going to separate me from God. No, 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 no. What you take it as, you say, oh, God, I need you more than ever. And the only way that I'm going to possibly overcome this thing is by hanging on to your pant leg, Jesus. I'm hanging on. When the waters get rough. Yeah, okay. Here's a joke. So there was a girl, there was a young lady, she, uh, this is getting kind of heavy, I got to lighten it up. So there's this young lady, she, um, nice Christian girl, she moved into a, all by herself, young lady, and uh, she moved into a really rough neighborhood, and people were concerned about her, all of her Christian friends were worried about her because she was living in a really bad neighborhood, and so they said, you know, you should do something, you should get some kind of, get a pet, something, you don't want to be alone in there. So, uh, so she, she did, she got a parakeet, and her first weekend, she left, uh, she left, and uh, she had to go away for the weekend, and sure enough, she got robbed. And so here it is in the dark, this thief comes walking through the house, and the thief hears, I can see you. And the thief's like, what? And he's looking around, shines his flashlight, sees this parakeet in a cage, it's like, oh, pff, just a dumb bird. And he starts going after other things. And the parakeet says, I can see you. And Jesus sees you too. And he's like, it's a Christian parakeet of all the worst kind. So he says, I got to shut this bird up. So he gets a blanket and goes over to cover the cage with the blanket. And, and he hears this. And the bird goes, sick him, Jesus. <laughs> so my point is, What's my point with that one? I don't know why that even came. Yep. <laughs> my point is this. You can't fight the devil on your own. You need to say sick him, Jesus, once in a while. And I'm telling you that the goal of that Jesus' desire for you in the middle of temptation is that you cling to him. That you don't fight the devil on your own. You don't fight him. You fight him on your own, you're going to lose. I've got to say, sick him, Jesus. Jesus, you got to help me. Jesus, I need your help. Jesus, I gotta, I've got to cultivate the presence of Jesus, even in the middle of my fierce battle. Um, that's what Jesus taught us how to do, didn't he? If there's one thing that Jesus did for us, he taught us how to, how to, how to enjoy the Father's presence in any situation. Jesus was able to put up and deal with any situation as long as he had the presence of his Father. And, and I'm convinced that it wasn't the nails that killed Jesus on the cross, and it wasn't the beatings that did him in. It was when the Father forsook Jesus. That's when Jesus breathed his last and died. That Jesus endured all of the pain and the suffering of the cross right up to that moment when he bore the sins. He was covered in our sins, and God the Father turned his back and looked away. That's when Jesus died. He literally couldn't survive one second apart from the Father's presence. It did him in. And I find it ironic that I spend so much of my life away from fellowship with God. 
that I find fellowship with God to be tiresome, burdensome at times. Oh, another prayer meeting. Oh, another this, another, oh. oh. I struggle to read my Bible so much. It's so hard to read my Bible every day. And oh, da 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 da. Why? Why? I propose to you, friends, that you're being ripped off. That your source of joy, your source of life, your source of peace, that, that the purpose for your life, your destiny, your pre-destiny was to be in a love relationship with the Father, to know Him intimately. And that's what we're fighting for every day. That is what we're fighting for. Understood? You're not fighting against sin. You're fighting for intimacy with your Father. And all those struggles are, are simply distractions. They're attempts to pull you away. And you're saying, no, I will hang on even tighter. That's the challenge for us. I like how my mom put it. Uh, Romans 8 is one of her favorite chapters. And she says it this way. She says that Romans 8 is her favorite because it starts with there's no condemnation. It ends with there's no separation. And in the middle, there's all things work together for the good. It's like, that's, that's a good. I said, Mom, that'll preach. Can I use that tomorrow? She said, yes. So there I'm using it. It's a good word. That's why we like Romans chapter 8 so much. So encouraging to us. Let me just, two things as we close. You've got to remember that the devil's goal is to isolate you. And so keep coming back. Uh, to the father's pant leg Lord I, I'm, I'm fighting for your presence right now that when you're being tempted don't fight the temptation instead fight to find the presence and feel the presence of God in your life and that when you do the temptation will slip away and the second thing is the thing you're fighting for yeah you're not fighting for religion. You're not fighting to be a good person. You're fighting to stay connected to your Father. I guess they're both the same. Father God, uh, we need you. We need you. I need you, Lord, not just at church. I need you Monday through Saturday, too. I need you. I need you when I go to bed at night. I need you when I wake up in the morning. I need you, God, when I'm driving in my car. I need you when I'm at work. I need you, God. I need you when I'm standing in the grocery store and I'm frustrated with somebody. I need you. I need you when I'm tempted to judge somebody that I see on the news. I need you there. I need you, God. I need you every hour. I need you. Thank you, Lord, that we are never separated from you. sing this uh, song and it's a new song probably for many of us but that's okay um, if you want to just let us sing it and you just sort of soak in it that's a good thing too but um, I actually asked the worship team if we could do this song today because it fits so well with this passage in Romans 8 it just it was just kind of had to I want you to hear the message that that there's someone with you in the fire. There's someone with you. 
that Jesus is with you. We're like those three Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel. No king, we're not going to bow. Okay, throw them in the fire. And Jesus is there. I propose to you that they would rather have Jesus in the fire than not have Jesus out of the fire. And so, Lord, I want you because you are what it's all about. So listen to the song, sing along when you think you know how it goes. Would you stand with us? when the heart is under fire another way when the walls are closing and when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone there was another in the fire standing next to me there was another in the waters holding back the seas and should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free there is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me yeah my debt. Thank you, Lord. You paid my debt. All my debt left for dead beneath the waters. And I'm no longer a slave to sin anymore. Come on, amen to that. And should I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning? I won't bow to the things of this world And I know, and I know I will never be
There's no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was and still is and will be through it all. So come what may in the space between all the things that seem and this reckoning. I know I will never be alone. Cause I know that's where you'll be I can see And I can see the light In the darkness As the darkness bows to him I can hear the roar In the heavens As the space between us I can feel the ground Shaking beneath us As his prison walls came in Nothing stands between us Nothing stands between us Cause I know that's where you'll be I'll count the joy from every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I'll count the joy from every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be Yeah, I'll count the joy from every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I'll count the joy from every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be here for prayer this morning but I, I feel like I, I gotta say this real quick Romans chapter 8 um, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus if you're not in Christ Jesus then you stand condemned and you are separated from God the promise of Romans chapter 8 only applies to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I want to urge you this morning, if you have not received Jesus as your Savior, that you do that today. And, and it's simple. It, would you just say yes to him? Not, not yes to me, not yes to me, yes to God. God has offered you his free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus say yes receive it today and begin this relationship with him and then Romans 8 does apply to you if you are in Christ Jesus yes you will never be condemned never be separated Isn't that good news but in Christ Jesus is the key it's not about the church that you belong to it's Jesus it's Jesus Jesus died for you. Will you receive him today?
So as we sing, we're going to keep singing, come through every battle. I got another question into the second second person I want to talk to is this. I want to ask you a question. I'm just going to pose it to you like this. If you could enjoy, which would you prefer to have? Which would you, if you, boy. If the presence of God was found in a battle, or not the presence of God, but it's comfortable, it's cushy, it's easy, it's light. Which would you choose? Does the presence of God mean that much to you? That you would be willing to get off your lazy boy chair and pursue him in the battle? I love the line of that song. Come, I'll count it joy, come every battle, because I know that's where you'll be. I'd rather have a battle alongside of Jesus than to be in my comfortable spot and know Jesus. Amen? Is that you today? The commitment that we're making today is a commitment to the presence of Jesus regardless. This is my highest priority, to maintain the presence and the awareness, intimacy with Jesus, thick or thin. That's the commitment. Will you commit to that today? We're just going to come, count it joy, come every battle, because I know that's where you'll be. If you want to make that commitment, either one of those commitments, I invite you, just join me here at this altar today as we close, okay? Count it joy through every battle. I count it joy, come every battle. 